1: Good morning and welcome to Our Wild World. In an increasingly globalized and industrialized world, we are seeing tremendous changes across wild landscapes, presenting unprecedented challenges for landscapes, people, and wildlife. We know that the population of African wildlife lions is in decline and facing a multitude of threats. Fifty years ago, there were approximately 400,000 across the continent. Today, an estimated 23,000. This does not include those animals in zoos or captive or private ownership. Who would have ever thought we would have to have a conversation about a trend that is happening, the industrialization of wildlife, farming wildlife for profit. And that is what my guest, Chris Mercer, founder of the Campaign Against Canned Hunting, and I will be talking about today the canned lion hunting industry. Is this what we really wanted to see when we talk about conservation and preservation of landscapes and wildlife? So, without further ado, welcome, Chris.
2: Hello, Ellie.
1: It is such a pleasure to have you here today. I've been wanting to talk to you for a long time. I've been following your organization, and I do want to get into today that you recently just had the uh Global March for Lions. It was just this week, correct?
2: Uh, yes, uh, over the weekend. And there's another event uh, outside the Lion Park near Johannesburg uh, on Saturday.
1: Okay. Well, why don't we start by t- you telling us a little bit about yourself and how you came to begin the cam- the campaign against lion hunting.
2: Uh Ellie, my partner, Bev, and I were running a wildlife rehab center in the Kalahari. And uh, the Cook Report came out exposing the canned hunting industry. Uh, We saw it on a local television magazine program called Carte Blanche. And uh, I knew immediately from my experience of dealing with conservation officials in South Africa and their hunting cronies, that they would just put their heads down until the bad publicity blew over and then it would be business as usual. So I determined then and there I was going to focus on canned lion hunting and campaign to get it stopped and I've been doing that since I suppose the last 16 years.
1: And it's not like you just came to this out of a whim. So first off, what is the Cook Report And you've been involved in wildlife conservation, rescue, rehab, and um, rewilding for quite some time. You also published a book that we could talk about. And um, you were a lawyer for a very long time. So you bring a lot of skill sets to this organization. Tell us a little bit about that.
2: Uh, Yes, I qualified as a lawyer in England, Zimbabwe, and I even did some trials in Botswana. Uh, But I'm not a South African lawyer. However, uh, certainly um, I retired at 40 when my country was taken over by uh, a megalomaniac and uh, I had to leave and come to South Africa. And uh, so instead of going back into practice, we decided to... Uh, retire on a very modest uh, fortune, and um, we ended up buying land in the Kalahari and establishing a wildlife rehab center.
1: And what kind of animals? So, were you bring, were you brought orphans? Were you rescuing, and had you had previous work with lions?
2: No, we hadn't. In fact, we were woefully uh, inadequate uh, to start a a rehab center. But Bev had the passion and uh, I just supported her. Uh, I got sucked into uh, animal welfare work, if you like, in her slipstream. Um, And so we just learned, you know, help is always uh, just at the other end of a telephone. And uh, we found ourselves telephoning our old friend, uh, the late, great Rita Milieu, uh, sometimes on a daily basis in order to uh, get advice on how to deal with a rescued bird or animal. Uh, You may know that Rita established uh, CARE, the Center for Animal Rehabilitation, which I think houses about 500 baboons. Uh, at this time and is uh, uh, assisted by the IPPL, Shirley McGreal's uh, group. Um, But uh, a couple of years ago now, uh, Rita very tragically died in a fire at her center.
1: Oh, that's terrible.
2: Uh, Yes, it is. Uh, We were actually devastated.
1: Uh, I can imagine.
2: That's horrendous. You know, about um, a week before she was killed in that horrifying fashion, I was chatting to her on the phone, and uh, she was then, I suppose, in her early 80s, I suppose about 82, 83, and the last words she ever spoke to me were, Chris, don't get old, it's not so much fun.
1: (laughs) She's right there, you know, Um, our minds stay young, our bodies start giving away, and you know, the, but the passion exists. You you had mentioned the passion. And as far as I'm concerned, as long as we have the passion and help is a telephone call or a Skype call or an email away, we can accomplish just about anything. So that brings us to canned lion hunting. You grabbed onto this with a passion. And first off, what is the Cook Report? Is that sort of an annual report of... Of, of hunting statistics or what is it about?
2: No, I think it was 1995 or 1996 that a British journalist called uh, Roger Cook uh, came out and did a sting operation on a canned hunting farm and secretly recorded everything and managed to escape with his precious footage uh, notwithstanding a violent confrontation at the end when he was found out. And that footage, of course, was shown around the world and it caused an absolute uproar. You know, the, uh, the idea of tame animals being shot in enclosures for fun uh, by people uh, just angered uh, ordinary decent people so much.
1: It does. It does. And I guess that brings me down to the crux of our conser- our conversation today. It's an oxymoron, isn't it? Canned hunting. Canned, as you so um, wonderfully explain, and I want our listeners to visit your website, org. all one word. And there are some excellent uh, videos, and Chris is there speaking. It answers questions. It's You must visit it because it will explain further all the gory and horrendous and abuse and cruelty that goes on and why. So we're going to give our listeners just a little bit of a touch today, but the goal is to learn more and to raise awareness. So canned hunting is an oxymoron. Canned means it's in the bag, Uh, like opening a can of beans. It's there. Hunting implies a skill. Canned lion hunting requires no skill. Um, It does require a lot of money to keep, breed, feed, and care for, as you say, these living targets for long enough to, when they come of age to become a trophy. So let's talk about this a little bit. This is the core of what the Campaign Against Canned Hunting is all about. And it's not just lions, but we're going to focus on lions today. Chris, tell us what happens. So we've already talked about industrialization of lions, like their cattle. So there is an ethical and a moral difference, both you and I believe, and I think, as you just stated, a lot of people, um, it's, it's abhorrent to us to think of lions being bred to be living targets. So tell us how this happens.
2: I'd like to start off, if you don't mind, uh, explaining the context because nothing ever happens um, unless it can flourish within its context.
1: Absolutely. Uh,
2: There's an ugly phrase called regulatory capture. If you Google that, you will find all sorts of interesting instances of where big business has deliberately invaded and occupied its own conservation space, uh, its own regulatory space, I should say, uh, in order to uh, control it. Uh, One of the best examples I can think of, uh, when I was reading Robert Koop's Uh, autobiography, he talks about how he was appointed Surgeon General by President Bush and when he arrived in the Surgeon General's office on his first day to take up his appointment he was astonished to see that it was a fireable offense for anyone to state in the Surgeon General's office that smoking was bad for your health. So, there's just one instance, but if you look, uh, if you Google regulatory capture, you'll come across plenty more fracking, um, the revolving door between Wall Street and Washington, but let's get specific now. The big hunting uh, is obscenely wealthy, obscenely wealthy, and their wealth is such that they can overwhelm. Uh, vulnerable third world conservation uh, services and they have done. So regulatory capture has taken place right from the top, right to the bottom. South African conservation is owned, occupied and controlled by the hunting industry. Take another range state, Tanzania, exactly the same thing. If you're a researcher and you go to Tanzania, and you uh, write that you find that uh, hunting is adversely impacting wild lion prides, you'll be deported. Uh, Just talk to Professor Craig Packer if you don't believe what I said there. As you go up the chain to international groups, you'll find that CITES is also captured, and the World Conservation Union, or the IUCN, is itself uh, captured. So, what you have is a doctrine of sustainable use, which is the principle upon which all modern conservation is now based. I believe that that emanated from the hunting industry. I believe it was imposed upon all those vulnerable organizations by a fanatical uh, uh, and, and vocal um, violent minority, and that conservation has seamlessly passed away from preservation and protection to what we have now, which is exploitation for profit
1: well this you 've just summed it up really well, so this regulatory capture, a governmental sanction, so to speak that seems to be in direct conflict to the mission of conservation and sustainable use. It's a catch-22. So when you have, which is happening the same thing here in this country, huge masses of wealth by vested interests and an embedded system entrenched, and cronyism and politics for money as opposed to to progress, then all sorts of illegal unconscionable unethical and perhaps immoral uh, activities start to take place so here we're talking about the what we're doing to wildlife and in particular lions under this heading of sustainable use and the regulatory report which trickles down into a whole lot of spin-off aspects that we're going to talk about so um, we've got about a a minute here Chris uh, until we need to just cut away to a break when did you start uh, the campaign against canned lion hunting
2: about 16 years ago I published a I prepared published a soft cover book called canned hunting a national disgrace Uh, I self-published it I think i did about 200 copies and i posted them the old fashioned way snail mail to every animal welfare group and conservation organization i could find on the internet and that's how i began
1: so we've got now you've you've exposed we have the cook report which was a journalist who uncovered all the Issues underneath canned hunting, sort of on the fly, and an expose which caught your attention, yours and Bev's, and then you published a book, self published a book, and sent it globally. So now we have the awareness beginning to be raised. So we're going to cut away to a break here and we're going to come back and get into the nitty gritty of what canned lion hunting is and why we all need to pay attention to this issue so stick with us and my guest chris mercer with a uh, campaign against canned hunting and you can find him on facebook and twitter and follow the global march for lions and the website is org c a n c a n c a n n e d l i o n cancannedlio org, and we'll be right back
0: W I L D I Z E dot O R G You're listening to Ellie Weiss and Our Wild World. We want to hear from you. Call into the program at 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. If you'd rather send us an email, please send it to wildeyes at wildeyes.org. That's W-I-L-D-I-Z-E at W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G. Now, back to our wild world.
1: And welcome back. This is our wild world and my guest, Chris Mercer, with the campaign against canned hunting and the global March for Lions. So, Chris, before the break, we got a really great background of how you became involved in this and the outrage you felt and wanted to announce this practice of canned lion hunting to the world. So, let's talk about what canned lion hunting is. Where do these lions come from? How are they raised? And then we'll get into some of the, you had mentioned, the huge economic benefits of of this. So let's talk about that. And then maybe we can get into a little discussion about the ethical side of this. So we've got a lion farm. What is a lion farm? Where do the lions come from? And where do they go?
2: So let's start at the beginning. I have a feeling... I would bet my life on it, but I don't have any proof, any scientific proof. I believe that the transition from uh, the apartheid regime to the new democratic society had a lot to do with it. I think landowners looked at what had happened in Zimbabwe with the land grab by Robert Mugabe, and they understandably felt a little um, anxious about their prospects of uh, Uh, remaining on their farms and uh, thought about how they could build up a nest egg overseas. Well, what better way than to stop farming with sheep and cattle for which you get paid in South African rands and which are taxed and get into an industry like the hunting industry where you do secret deals with wealthy foreigners. I'm not saying that everyone who does uh, a hunt is a crook, is a foreign currency swindler, but I think I'm justified in pointing to the enormous opportunities for uh, foreign currency swindling and uh, for therefore cheating the tax man uh, that such an industry offers. So that, I think, uh, had a lot to do with it in many cases. So how did they start? The answer was... They uh, bought so-called surplus lions from the zoos, and South African zoos have a shameful history of uh, supplying surplus zoo animals to the hunting industry. Um, Of course, the lion breeders need uh, fresh blood, otherwise lions become inbred and suffer from captivity depression. So uh, a a number of uh, different ways uh, were uh, exploited to acquire lions. One way was to uh, drag a carcass along the fence line of one of the major uh, nature reserves like Kruger National Park, cut the fence, leave the carcass there, and then dart and capture the wild lions when they came to the carcass. The other way, uh, and we know about this because whistleblowers have come forward to expose it in the Botswana press, um, is to pay Botswana uh, citizens to go out in their four-wheel, four-by-four vehicles um, in fleets uh, to chase down wild lion prides through through the flat Kalahari, where there's no escape to the point of exhaustion, shooting uh, as many adult lions as they needed in order to capture the cubs and young young animals, and then smuggling those across the porous border with South Africa to unscrupulous lion farmers.
1: Okay, so let let me interject here a second. So you're saying they're going cross-border, so we're talking international, and chasing down wild lions to kill them to get cubs to smuggle back across the border to to create a breeding uh, breeding foundation. That's what you're saying? So we've got several illegal activities going on here, um, maybe illegal or at least unscrupulous, as you said. So we talk uh, about… Oh, no,
2: it's, it's thoroughly illegal uh, okay. and… and... Unsavory from start to finish. Uh, this is a toxic industry right from the beginning. Uh, that's why I've focused on telling you how the industry began. Okay. Uh, so that you could see how unsavory it was and what sort of bottom feeders uh, would do things like this. Basically what they've done now, of course, they've um, introduced fresh blood in, this, in the way that I've described. They now have started to breed of course, as soon as people are making money, other people uh, join in. We now have about 160 uh, lion farmers in South Africa, uh, and they exchange uh, lions with each other in order to avoid inbreeding and captive de- captivity depression. Uh, there are about... Nobody knows the exact figure, but uh, I've been told by people in the industry that uh, we have about 8,000 lions being bred in captivity for no other purpose than to be living targets for these uh, collectors. You're quite right. They're not hunters at all. They're collectors.
1: So there is a big difference here, people, about going on a hunt in, let's say, Tanzania, hiring a guide and tracking a lion – as unsavory as it is to my to me um and we're not going to get into an argument about hunting helping conservation that's not the place here we've already just heard from chris that how they captured the initial breeding stock for these lions is unsavory and illegal and decimating partly why the wild lion population is being decimated so now we've got 8000 lions That started from the wild, we have a wide gene pool, and now we're breeding them in enclosures. Tell us about some of these lion farms. What happens?
2: Well, the whole factory farming um, method, of course, involves taking the wild out of wildlife and farming with alternative livestock. Lions now become alternative livestock to sheep and cattle. So they uh, apply factory farming methods. Um, Instead of the lioness being allowed to breed naturally every two or three years, they speed breed her. She may may have to put out uh, two or sometimes three sets of cubs in one year, which is, uh, uh, of course, stressful and unnatural. Um, and lionesses who don't provide enough cubs, if she only produces one or two cubs instead of three or four, then off she goes to the hunter.
1: Let's talk a little bit about these hunters. Um, without, you know, pointing a finger at anyone in particular, we've already mentioned that canned lion hunting requires no skill. So we've got all these lions and we're going to talk a little bit about some of the spin spinoff uh, industries to raise these lions. And now, but let's let's stick here. So we've got lions that have been hand-raised in an enclosure. They're not really friends at this point. They're not wild. As you said, they're the wild is being bred out of them. They're totally raised by people and then they're put where for the hunter. It's not like they have a wide landscape to run through or a fair chase. It's an enclosure, correct?
2: It's a camp. It's a fenced camp, and the area might vary uh, from uh, province to province as far as regulations are concerned. You may have a 1,000 hectares. What's that? Call it 2,000 acres in one province and less in another. Uh, Similarly, when the hunting operator buys his lion from the lion farmer and it is delivered to be executed – Uh, At the uh, hunting farm, which might be a different farm, Um, they might choose the northwest province where the permit conditions only require a um, 96-hour interval uh, from the relocation before the animal can be hunted. So you're uh, saying that
1: the animal is given 96 hours to sort of acclimate to a place it's never been before that has no clue of what's happening, and then put out, so to speak, to just be shot?
2: I think that the figure of 96 hours was obtained from veterinary uh, surgeons who assured them that in that time the drugs, the sedatives or tranquilizers that had been administered to the lion when it was translocated would have worn off. Uh, so that the lion would no longer be classed as a drugged lion. I think that's the 96 hours.
1: That's a really important point there that we sort of skipped over. So during translocation from the lion camp, the lion breeding farm, to the hunting, quote-unquote, hunting enclosure, the lions have been uh, darted, sedated, and supposedly given an opportunity to wake up and orient themselves in 96 hours.
2: Uh, Yes, that's true of the northwest province, which uh, understandably, because of this lax uh, regulation, is the most popular uh, province of all. Um, Most lions in South Africa uh, are shot in the northwest province.
1: So where I'm trying to get to is... um And I'm not trying to lead you into answering what I would not want to hear or anything. These lions are not given an opportunity from the date of birth to the point where they've been drugged, translocated, and put into a new enclosure waiting for a bullet. They're not really given any opportunity to defend themselves, orient themselves, uh, before a human is stuck in there to shoot it. Do they have the ability to... Uh, protect themselves to get away?
2: Oh no, there's no element of fair chase in the slightest. In fact, um, I would say that probably more lions are shot um, for uh, sporting pleasure, um, for example, by bow and arrow or by handgun, um, uh, just to make it uh, more interesting to that sick mind
1: this i'm I'm speechless because this is just so horrendous I don't know if any of our listeners out there have ever seen or watched any of the the videos of a canned lion hunt it is gut-wrenching to watch I understand the skill of hunting my father was a hunter but we hunted for meat we hunted for food we didn't hunt for 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 the thrill I'm you know and to me applying the word Sporting, to this situation of canned lion hunting, does sport, the the concept and definition of sport, unfair justice? I don't think it's sporting. Um, I think it's just a thrill.
2: Uh, Oh, it can't possibly be a sport because the one participant doesn't even know it's in the game.
1: (laughs) You took the words right out of my mouth. I did a photographic campaign there that the game, how does, how do the the game isn't on unless the other team knows it's playing. So, <laughs> yes. So we, we have a setup here of lions that um, – let's talk about how these lions are raised and some of the spin uh, spinoff uh, industries of raising these
2: cubs. Okay. Uh, so the next stage is the cub petting stage. Now, the lion farmers are very clever at concealing their uh, awful activities from the volunteers who they want to attract to come and pay vast sums to be allowed to bottle feed and help them hand rear the little lions. And I must say, there seems to be an insatiable demand from people in the first world to come out to Africa and to bottle feed and cuddle a lion. Um, And that uh, need is shamelessly exploited by the lion farmers. If you go to their websites, you would think they were (coughs) the creator's gift to conservation Um, Whereas, in fact, uh, they're just sordid bottom feeders who are um, indulging in in a business whose whose whole business model is just routine cruelty to helpless animals.
1: So I've seen some of the images um, through your website and other websites of people working alongside you, with you, and on their own to expose some of these operations where these lions are bread-like rabbits we do need to clarify lions will breed very easily and very quickly um, on their own if allowed and they grow up and it takes two to three years for male lions to um, get off on their own and then another two to three years to establish a territory and there's that thing called the six or twelve year rule that a wild lion is not allowed to be hunted until it's at least six years old Personally, that's right when they re- meet their prime. They've managed to survive. They now have a big full mane, and now they can be killed. Where 12 years old maybe better. better. It's, it's an experienced lion, but he's probably got some scars. So now we have these lions that are being bred like farm animals. Think of chicken industry, calf industry, lamb, you name it, for one purpose only, profiteering, and for a thrill kill. So, um... As you were saying, the cub petting industry and our overwhelming need to touch wildlife. What I talk about often that, you know, safari is about engaging and seeing wild in in and for its own existence. So this need for us to go out and touch. Go to a zoo, a good accredited zoo. Go to a good sanctuary. But touching wildlife, petting it, changes the animal. Um, So you were talking about volunteers pay exorbitant prices to come and participate in some of these activities so we're gonna st- let's let's talk about that a little bit there's been some ex- exposes that you've um, managed to hook up with some of these volunteers about what happens and then they're awakening to the real world of where these lions go how can they be so naive
2: Ah, oh, good question. Uh, that's the question we always ask. How, why don't they ask? Hmm, all these lions are being bred and you've been doing this for years and you've got a hundred lions here in this camp. Where do they all go? Here you've got 30 cubs. Where do they all go? There aren't enough zoos in the world uh, to take all these animals. And anyway, the zoos trade between themselves because they keep stud books. So where do they all go? And when they ask that question, the lion farmers have become very skillful at deflecting awkward questions. They say things like, oh, the lions will be released back into the wild. Or... These lions will be retired, giving the impression that they will go off into the sunset, you know, and, le- and lead a, 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 a lovely life um, until the sun comes down. So that's the situation there. The whole thing's a fraud. Basically, cub petting is a way in which lion farmers externalize the cost of rearing the lion to huntable size.
1: So... This is astonishing, and I, I'm going to give our listeners a little moment to contemplate everything we've just talked about. We're going to cut away to, to a break, and be sure to come back and join me with my guest, Chris Mercer, uh, founder, uh, with he and his wife, Bev, of the Campaign Against Canned Hunting, and we're going to get into some of the um, actions that you can take to make a difference. So stick with us.
0: ellie founded wild eyes foundation because she loves africa and to remind us that there are more harmonious and less destructive ways to live on our planet she does this so we may be able to look inside ourselves and understand the deeper partnerships that connect us all and to take responsibility for our lives and our earth africa is one of our last remaining wild places and the origins of humanity it is irreplaceable Africa is at a crossroads, on the brink of possibilities. We can choose to let its wildlife be lost forever, or we can help save it. In Africa, it is still possible to make a difference. Visit us at www.wildeyes.org to learn how you can make a difference. We only have one Earth. If we don't care, who will? W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot Listening to Ellie Weiss and Our Wild World. We want to hear from you. Call into the program at 1 472 5788. That's 1 472 5788. If you'd rather send us an email, please send it to Wild wildeyes at Wild That's W I L D I Z E at W I L D I Z E dot org. Now, back to our Wild World.
1: Welcome back with my guest Chris Mercer, the Campaign Against Canned Hunting and the Global March for Lions. So previously we were talking about externalizing the costs of raising lions for the canned hunting operations, where these lions come from, and our um, human need to reach out and touch something else, to touch a lion cub, to pet a lion cub. So that brings me to a man we all are very familiar with, who you work closely with, Kevin Richardson. He's an amazing man. Um, He's a self-taught animal behaviorist, and he interacts with his lions a lot. He's become quite a sensation, and people love to watch that. So what is the difference between what he does and cub petting, outside of the fact that he knows his lions very, very well, knows when to leave them alone, but by watching this kind of an interaction, do you think it makes us want to go say, I want to do that, I want to go touch a lion and in some odd way encourages lion cub cub petting and lion walks?
2: So Kevin is a great guy and a wonderful ambassador for the lions. And there's an enormous moral difference to my mind with the interaction that he does with lions and with cub petting. Uh, And I would sum it up in one sentence. Kevin is a giver. Cub petters are takers. Kevin gives his life for his lions. He feeds them. He cares for them. He protects them for their lives. Your cub petter Is a tourist. He goes to the lion park or one of the other uh, places in South Africa and he pays his $10 or what, $20 or whatever it is, and he grabs this poor little lion, whether it likes it or not and he takes some selfies, which he's going to post on Facebook, and then he dumps the lion back again, and he doesn't give a damn whether the lion's alive, the the cub is alive tomorrow or not. Uh, I see a huge difference between the two, and I hope you will after hearing me.
1: I absolutely see the difference. I just know that when we show people, and now that we get so much of our wild nature interaction through virtual means such as television, Facebook, YouTube, that, and when I go to a zoo, people say, oh, I want one with, and, they just don't think further what that really means we just want something and today we can get it we can pay twenty dollars to go pet a lion cub we have the same unscrupulous business practices happening here it's just not on the scale because we don't have lion hunt well actually we do down in Texas and places lion hunting camps where you can go kill the animal of your choice and it requires no skill and Nine times out of ten, these animals are drugged. They have no clue what's going on, and there they are shot. And you can see videos of this. And I encourage people to watch a video. It is heart-wrenching. It is sickening to watch an animal suddenly say to itself, what is this thing that just exploded my insides? And the complete lack of the human of understanding any sort of emotional Uh, connection to what just happened other than to sit over its kill pose with its gun and smile and as Chris just said take a selfie and post it so there is a huge difference between people who have sanctuary like Kevin Richardson and I hope to have Kevin on the program one day and maybe Chris can help me with that so that we can talk about this further it is an ethical ethical point so Chris how do we engage people around the world to stop this practice, reawaken their compassion, engagement with nature, and understand the ethical difference of what's happening to stop the industrialization of wildlife, because it's no longer wild.
2: It's an enormous problem, uh, Ellie, and I really don't know the answer because uh, there are so many factors involved geopolitics, economics, um, national politics, uh, race, all sorts of things. It's hideously complex. I really don't know what the answer is. But I do see an enormous difference between factory farming with lions, which is going to contribute to the extinction of wild lions, and factory farming with uh, chickens, which I personally think is disgusting, but which won't uh, directly impact wildlife. You see, the difference is this. I've already explained to you about how the, uh, some unscrupulous lion farmers uh, acquire their cubs in Botswana and how uh, the uh, wild lion prides in Botswana are being ravaged for this purpose. But there's another important point this industry has been able to build up with the approval of the South African government of the lion bone trade. Now, you may know that CITES, uh, by decision 14 of 69, banned the uh, farming of tigers uh, for the sale of their body parts because there was a general realization in, in conservation circles that the legal trade uh, would be uh, used to launder uh, poached uh, wild animals. Now, that being so, I would say, well, why haven't they uh, done another decision, 1469, for lions? Because exactly the same considerations apply. So, what you've got is a massively booming trade with Asian crime syndicates in lion bones. Those lion bones are smuggled over the border from PDR Laos into uh, Vietnam. Uh, The bones are boiled up along with turtle shell, monkey bones, deer antler and uh, other such ingredients then reduced to a powder. That's then placed into rice wine for the Chinese market and it is compressed into a cake, tiger bone cake for the Vietnamese market. Uh, The uh, profits are unconscionable. Um, It's not not unusual for a lion carcass which only weighs 15 to 18 kilograms, a lion skeleton, um, to fetch something like sixty or seventy thousand dollars at point of sale
1: this is this is astonishing we We know that tigers are endangered there's less in the wild than there are in captivity by two thirds and as you'd said, the illegal wildlife trade and wildlife crime in animal parts and under CITES, which is a questionable organization already. I mean, I could bring up the Zimbabwe elephant debacle that's going on right now. Um, So we know CITES is under fire. It's coming up to a meeting, and they are a trade organization. That's a key part of their title. And um, so now we're substituting lion bones for tiger bones. China has gotten around the tiger bone trade by starting up tiger parks which hold massive numbers of tigers and i wouldn't be too surprised if not too far in the future right next door would be the tiger sanctuary or tiger hunting park where the tigers go to get canned killed so um help us make the connection of how canned hunting of wildlife lions or any other wildlife but lions particularly there's a charismatic difference in our mind between a lion and a cow and a chicken How is this decimating the wild population? You explained the unscrupulous going across borders to Botswana. Botswana banned killing lions, but that doesn't mean no lions will be... They banned lion hunting, but that doesn't mean lions will be killed. There's all sorts of ways. It's a problem, animal, Um, or having conflict with a village. So how does canned lion hunting directly affect the wild populations and how are we going to i i don't know if we have an answer to this how do we get it across to people that can hunting does affect wild lion populations one is declining the other is burgeoning how do we get people to 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 to, to get this wrap their minds around it i think one point is your global march for lions which just finished uh talk to us a little bit about that
2: Okay, perhaps I could just uh, finish off the point you were making by saying I mentioned how unconscionable the prophets were from lion bones. Now, join the dots. How long do you think it is uh, before wild lions are being poached for their bones? Ah. So, immediately now, there's another point of uh, uh, impact uh, of canned hunting on wild lion populations. Um, Sorry, uh, Ellie, I went backwards there. Do you want me to talk about the march? No, fine.
1: You talk about, I want you to tell us what we need to hear.
2: Okay, well, I think the most important news I'd like to get across is that Uh, Donalia Patman, um, our colleague in Australia, has done marvellous work in uh, persuading uh, Australian parliamentarians that uh, they should not become accomplices in any way to the uh, dreadful canned hunting industry in South Africa. And she's been so successful... Uh, that uh, the Australian government uh, last Friday announced a ban on the import of lion trophies.
1: Well, this, now, now this, this is br-
2: ex- yeah.
1: I was just going to say this brings up an important point that you talk about on your website. The um, opportunity here in the U.S. to list the lion as an endangered species. How will that affect all of this?
2: It could never happen. Uh, Not in the States. Uh, I've spoke right at the beginning about regulatory capture. Uh, U.S. fish and wildlife are absolutely paralyzed by the wealth and ferocious... Uh, litigation propensity of uh, the hunting fraternity in the United States. Um, and of course when they band together with the National Rifle Association you have a block vote of 3.2 million votes which of course is kingmaker in uh, presidential elections in America. So you, we will never see uh, uh, any uh, anything done by U.S. Fish and Wildlife, which adversely impacts on the profits of the hunting industry.
1: That's frightening.
2: We, I think we're going to have more success in Europe. Um, uh, Cash is global and we've got teams all around the world. Um, actually, it's the only organization I know which is completely run by volunteers, um, we ourselves are volunteers. Nobody draws a salary, but we have teams all around the world working away um, purely from passion and um, they're meeting in Brussels. All of our European colleagues uh, will be meeting in Brussels in June to strategize a way forward to use the momentum built up by the ban in Australia to try and persuade the European Union to implement a ban on the import of lion trophies there. Now if we can achieve that, uh, that will knock out a substantial portion of the income of this canned hunting industry probably about 40% um, and that would result in a large scale reduction uh, in a, a large-scale contraction of the canned hunting industry, of course, you will continue to get your um, your American gun nuts coming out here to kill them.
1: So what you're saying is we have to work via the back door, so to speak, similar to banning the bull hook, to create sanctuary and safety for elephants in captivity in zoos. If we can ban the import of lion trophies or lion parts, at least here in the U.S. and in other countries, then we're creating a starting point where the the industry will take a hit and force perhaps people to become more aware to join the battle to stop the canned hunts. So it requires passion, engagement, and compassion to um, start here at the bottom steps ban the import of of, of carcasses, uh, of trophies.
2: Yes, that's right. Uh, as I explained, we have regulatory capture, so we can't work with conservation authorities here. We can't work with conservation authorities in the world. We can't work with CITES, because they've also been captured. So... As a matter of strategy, we've decided to go the political way. We're going to try and cut off the funds uh, to this industry uh, by getting uh, the uh, politicians to ban the import of lion trophies. And that way we can get around the regulatory capture, uh, which presently exercises such a stranglehold on conservation services throughout the world.
1: So it really is about stopping the demand, at least putting a roadblock in the way of demand, similar to what uh, organizations are doing for rhino conservation and elephant conservation. If we can stop the demand by stopping the import, ab- the ability to import, then the supply is going to take a hit, right?
2: That's our strategy uh, and it has this enormous advantage over trying to get legislation passed in South Africa against a captured conservation service. Let's assume for one moment that I personally drafted a total ban and the hunting industry lawyers were not allowed to draft any loopholes into it so that canned hunting was made illegal in South Africa tomorrow. Well, I can tell you here and now there wouldn't even be a ripple. There would be a whole lot of midnight flights. The lions in South Africa would vanish like Scotch mist and the following day the hunting magazines would be full of offerings of hunts in neighboring territories where government is weak and corrupt, Mozambique, Zimbabwe, Zambia, Namibia, whereas If we can cut off the flow of funds to the industry, we kill it stone dead. So
1: what you've heard here, folks, today is a dilemma. We are facing a dilemma and a a need for a huge paradigm shift. We need to get involved as citizens of the world to take a look at our ethics, take a look at our morals, and take a look at where our um, economic civilization is headed? Do we want to industrialize every living thing on the planet, including our wildlife, lose the concept of wild, and do that to our psyches, or do we want to work and join hands with Chris Mercer and the campaign against canned hunting, which would put our feet in the door politically, economically, strategically, and policy-wise to change the way we live on earth. So we're out of time today. Thank you very much, Chris.
2: Uh, it's a pleasure. Thank you for inviting me.
1: It's been a pleasure speaking with you, and I would love to have you back again. You are you have so much wisdom and a lot to say, and you're very knowledgeable about the uh, the facts of what's going on so that's it for today this is ellie weiss and our wild world
0: thank you again for joining us this week be sure to tune in next monday at 11 a.m eastern time 8 a.m pacific time for another edition of our wild world with your host ellie weiss on the voice america variety channel think about living with wildlife during the coming week and what you can do right now